Well, good evening in Jesus' name. I, it's a privilege to be here with you. It's a privilege. To, it's a blessing to see you. The, 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 your, your hospitality and your graciousness is, is a real blessing and an encouragement and an inspiration. I can, we can go home from here and, and have, have learned some good things from you here in, in that gracious that you've, you've, you've showed us. Also, I want to say to the young people that, or I want to commend you, the young people, for your attention and really um, exceptional, I think, attention to uh, as during the service. So thank you and blessings to you. And um, while I appreciate it, you're actually doing yourself more good by just learning to be that way than you are anybody else. So you'll bless yourselves by doing that, too, by continuing to do that. Uh, I appreciated Gerald's devotional and the further thoughts on the whole thing of of the um, uh, being made in the image of God and and uh, the reminiscing. So we were, yeah, Gerald and and the uh, Danny and Owen and uh, and uh, uh, and our family and Chad's family as well all lived within a few miles there in Seymour and lots of lots and lots of good memories especially somehow the memories get better as you get older when you're right in the middle of some of that stuff it's kind of fun but maybe kind of not fun but as you get older it's uh, you, you, the the stuff that's not kind of fun uh, Kind of fades away, and the and and you have good memories. If and so I I do I have really really good memories, but but you know what's kind of sobering is that how long ago that was? That was quite a while ago. It doesn't seem that long really, but it was quite a while ago. Maybe before some of you were born. Probably before some of you were born. Nineteen ninety. All right. So tonight uh, I would like to think about something else, something else very serious, something else very foundational, something else that that uh, it's good for us to think about something else that's big. Um, you know, I was thinking about heaven, and that's not what we want to talk about tonight, but I was thinking about it now. So we have this picture that when we get to heaven, everything is perfect and it's going to be rest, which is true. But are you going to be, do you think that we're made just to, even after we get to heaven, just to do nothing? Oops. Just to do nothing and just rest, how long are you going to be able to handle that? I feel like, so, so God is infinite. And I feel like one of the things in heaven that's going to, because I think when we were made, we were made to be challenged. I think that's from the beginning. That, that has nothing to do with the fall. I think that we were made to be, you know, Forgive me if I say something wrong here because I'm kind of thinking on the fly here as I go, but when God, God is creative and he, when he created man, he, he was expanding his, you know, that, that, that thing came out of his love and he made us in his own image and, and so we also are made to be creative and to be challenged I don't know if we can say God is challenged or, you know, he is challenged or he, he likes a challenge because 
he's just able to do anything he wants to do. So it's not quite the same. But I feel like as humans, we are made to be challenged, and that's what fulfills us as challenge. And I feel like the challenge that we're going to have in heaven continue is the, the challenge of a greater understanding of God himself. I really don't know that we're going to have a perfect understanding of God as we arrive into heaven. I think, I think, I really think, and here again, you're, this is an opinion, so you can feel totally free to disagree with me. And you can even tell me if I'm theologically off base. I don't want to be that way. But um, I feel like maybe that the, the challenge we have in heaven is the, con, is the continual growing in the acquaintance of who God is. I just think that's going to be tremendous. It's going to be tremendous. In some ways I can hardly wait. But in other ways, God has called us to be here for now. And there's really very little point in us getting too much in a hurry to leave the calling that God has called us to. So tonight I'd like to talk about the sovereignty of God. And there's only one set of feelings I think that's appropriate to, as we approach this subject of the, of the sovereignty of God. And, 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 and that is a feeling of reverence, of great awe, and of deep love. Bring anything else to this subject and it's not appropriate. To attempt to talk about the sovereignty of God puts us in a little bit of a bind. On the one hand, who are we as weak and dying mortals to think that we can speak with any authority about the God who spoke the world into existence? Now, if you're 62 years old and you've been walking with God for since you're 16, you know more about God. You have a better understanding of God than a 16-year-old does, probably, because you've been doing this for 40-some years. You've been walking with God, and hopefully if you've been serious, your, your understanding has deepened and grown. You understand God better than the 16-year-old does. However, the difference between your knowledge and his is almost nothing, to the point where it's almost not measurable compared to what there still is to know, still is to learn. And so that's why when, when, when I approach, and I think I want to talk about the sovereignty of God, I feel completely inadequate. On the other hand, um, there's nothing more important to talk about. And while our understanding is really inadequate, our experience can be real. We have experience with God. We've, you know, interaction with God, and it's real. Our love can be deep, and we can do it in humility. We can recognize that what I think about God might not even be correct. I might be, I might be wrong, and I might have to change my mind. That's one of the unsettling things about getting deep into the knowledge of God, is that sometimes people do have to change their mind a little bit. 
God isn't exactly how he thought he was. There's a certain something there, a certain steel that they come up against. That is, they didn't, they didn't see that. And it's not comfortable. And they have to change their way of thinking sometimes a little bit. Well, that's how it is when we learn to know God. And so, uh, but if we, if we do that, in, if we come to this subject humbly, um, we can learn. If we come thinking we know, we probably, or, or we think, uh, yeah, we, we think we, we have the answers and that we have nothing to learn, then probably we shouldn't even begin to talk. Sometimes people form a concept of God in their own minds. And when they hear something a bit different, that's disagreeable to them, that doesn't fit the concept that they already have, they say something like, and you may have heard this very expression, that's not the God I serve. Well, you, we'd better be careful. In fact, maybe we've even said something like that. But we, we'd better be careful. We, we need to be absolutely certain that the concepts we form of God are based solid, solidly on the Word of God. How else are we going to learn to know God? I know we have experience. We experience things. But any of our experiences that we have with God, we think are God, if they aren't um, consistent with what we see here and what we learn here, We'd better be careful because there's lots of trickery out there. And Satan is a tremendous imitator. And our own humanity is easily confused. And so um, we, we just need to be careful that we don't form concepts of God that aren't true. We need to be careful about that, that we don't worship a God of our own making. And, uh, yeah, we need to be absolutely certain that the concepts we form of God are, are, are based solidly on his word and not on some honey-tongued dreamer because there are many, many times that people talk and they're good talkers and they talk convincingly and they say things that really aren't true about who God is. There's nothing more important than how we think about God about us. That's the most important thing about us. Not there's really that's the most important thing about us. And we if we get a hold of that, that the way I think about God is the most important thing about me, because how I think about God determines how I live my life. How I live my life determines where I will be in eternity, with God or not. Just that simple. So how we think about God. Extremely important. Nothing more important than that. Job chapter 11, verse 7, in the American Standard Version says, Can you discover the depth of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? They are as high as the heavens. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes by or shuts up or calls an assembly, who can restrain him? 
Job's asking some questions about God. So, God's sovereignty, what does it mean? God's sovereignty means that he is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the Almighty, and that he will, in the end, do exactly what he chooses to do. He will accomplish his purposes. He will fulfill his will. He will carry out his plans. And the this evening, we'll look at several things that appear to contradict those things that I just said, that appear to contradict the, the, the sovereignty of God. But before we do that, let's look at a few things that the Bible says about the subject. The, the King James Version never uses the word sovereign or sovereignty. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 15, says, uses a word that means about the same thing. And the concept of God's sovereignty is just throughout the scripture. It doesn't use the word, but the concept is there, that God is Lord of lords, King of kings. He will do what he chooses to do. That's not the same as doing everything he wants to do, you know. Because honestly, God would like to do some things that he chooses not to do because he has set things in place that he is limiting himself. He says, well, God would love to bless me and you sometimes, but we don't put ourselves in the position to be blessed, and so he doesn't do it. It's not that he can't. It's because he's chosen not to. Because we haven't... We'll, we'll, we'll um, maybe think about that a little bit. So in 1 Timothy 6, verse 15, he says, he's talking about Christ, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. That's Paul. The testimony of David, the man after God's own heart, says, The Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever, in Psalm 29, verse 10. And the, the testimony of the heathen king, Nebuchadnezzar, we'll just read a few things here in, verse, in uh, Daniel chapter 4. He says, speaking of God, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants and, and so on. <clears throat> and now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. This is a testimony of a heathen king, a pagan king. And that word potentate means sovereign. It means king of kings and lord of lords. It means the highest authority. Every person on earth, even Mr. Biden and Mr. Putin, and Mr. Jinping, every one of them, even them, which we look at and we say, well, there's probably the most powerful men on earth. Even them, even they are, is un, are under someone's authority. Every angel in heaven is under authority. Every evil spirit is under authority. Every rebel who resents and resists all authority will at some point come to the place where he can resist no more. Only God is the absolute sovereign, the absolute authority. And the sovereignty of God is, is his absolute right to do all things according to his good pleasure. There are five things, there are five issues 
that appear on the surface, they appear to run contrary to the sovereignty of God. And I'm going to mention them, but I won't talk about all of them tonight. Uh, one is the free will of man. How does the sovereignty of God work with the free will of men? How can God be sovereign and at the same time give man his free will? How can God says, how can God say, I will do what I will do. I will do what I I will I will accomplish my will and at the same time say I give give you freedom to choose yes or no. Evil and suffering. How can evil exist when it is most certainly contrary to the nature and the will of both the holy and the sovereign God. How does that happen? God says, um, I'm sovereign, and yet there's, and, and I will do, and I will, you know, I, I, I will do what I choose to do, but how can evil exist when that is the case? Because God is holy, and uh, God is good. So evil and suffering seem on the surface to run contrary to this idea that God is sovereign and good. Human responsibility, how can God be sovereign and at the same time make men and women responsible for their own choices? Evangelism, if God does what he wants, doesn't that mean that he saves who he wants to save? And then why evangelize? What do we have to do with it? Evangelism seems on the surface, I said, to run contrary to, uh, to God's sovereignty. And prayer, if God is sovereign, how can he be moved to do what he was not going to do? In other words, why prayer if things are determined already? Why pray if things are determined already? So those things on the surface seem to run contrary to the sovereignty of God. But as you look closely at them, as we look more closely, we will um, see that that isn't the case. Sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God means he's free to do whatever he pleases. Psalm chapter 135 verse 6 says, Whatsoever the Lord pleased that he did in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and in all deep places. Uh, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. That's in Isaiah chapter 46. So when we're saying that God is sovereign, what we're saying, when we say that God is sovereign, sovereign, we're saying that God is free to do whatever he wants to do. He doesn't ask permission from anyone to do anything that he wants to do. Uh, if God would ask permission, who would he ask permission from? Uh, who, who, who has the right to give God permission to do anything? And, and all of us need to ask all of us need to ask permission to do certain things. God does not. He, his is the absolute right to do all things according to His good pleasure. Is there a young man named Seth here tonight? Do I see Seth? Is that Seth? Do I see Seth? Is that you back there? No. I just have a few questions. Don't don't be afraid. Just just it's nothing scary here. But does your dad have a nice pickup at home? Does your dad have a nice pickup at home, Seth? Is it a Ford? No, okay. 
was probably still a nice pickup, even if it isn't a Ford. Now, um, this is my question. <clears throat> Let's say that Seth wants to take that pickup for a drive. Can he do that? Can he say to his mom, you know, I'm going to take Dad's truck for a spin, see if I like it, see if it's a good one. You think, you think he can do that? You think he has the freedom? You think he'll be able to get the permission to do that? I, I would, you know, say no, probably not. I don't think he's going to be allowed to do that. So he doesn't, and that's how we are. There are certain, certain things that we simply are not going to be allowed to do. We don't have the freedom to do that. So uh, freedom, God, God's sovereignty means that he is absolutely free to do whatever he wants to do. The other thing it means is, is power or ability omnipotence. We talked about that just a little bit yesterday. I know that thou canst do everything, and no thought can be withholden from thee. For with God nothing shall be impossible. A verse from the Old and the New Testament. If God is free to do whatever he pleases, then he also must be able to do it. Uh, So God is not only completely free to do what he chooses, but he's able to do what he chooses. He's all-powerful. And again, that doesn't mean that God will do everything he wants to do. There are things that God really would like to do with you and me, but sometimes we stand in the way or we, we just don't allow him to. He wants to, but he chooses not to because of what he has put in place. He has put this free will of ours in place that if we say no to God, he won't force us. He won't drag us into heaven. He won't drag us into the kingdom. He won't. We have to want to. We have to say yes. So if, if it, let's say that, okay, so we're talking about freedom, and now we're talking, we talked about freedom, now we're talking about the ability. So if Seth got permission from his mom, let's say he asked her while she was just waking up for a nap and she didn't quite understand what he was saying, and she said, yeah, fine, go ahead, I don't care. And, and, and so he, he, he decided he's going to do it. So you think he would be able to? He got the permission, has the freedom, but would he be able to get in and go to Boise and go to Walmart and then stop at McDonald's for a Happy Meal and, and, and drive home? You think he's able to do that? Probably not. I mean, I don't know Seth that well. I don't know him at all, really, but I see him back there. And I, don't, I would guess that probably that would be a tough job for Seth right now because he's only like eight years old or seven years old or something like that. So... Um, yeah, he, he couldn't do it. So there's a lot of things like that, too, that we, well, nobody is telling us that we can't do it. We might have the freedom if we, but we just don't have the ability to do it. We're not sovereign. There's nothing like that for God. And the other thing is knowledge. God's sovereignty means he is free, he has power, and he has knowledge. He knows everything. For God to be sovereign, he also has to possess all knowledge. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. And there's many verses we could read that to show the knowledge and the omniscience of God. But let's suppose now that Seth is all grown up. He's 16 or 17, and, and he has the freedom to use his dad's truck. And he knows how to drive it. And this time he's going to Boise, but now McDonald's is no good. <laughs> he's 17. Now it's Starbucks or something even better. I don't know what it is. And so now he has both the freedom and he has the ability. But if 
he doesn't know where the key is, it still doesn't work, does it? Still can't do it. So something is missing. Knowledge, he does, there's something he doesn't know that he needs. Uh, and so for us to be, for God to be omniscient, he must have all freedom, all power, and all knowledge. For God to be sovereign is what I meant to say. He must have all freedom. He can do what he wants. He has a power to do anything. He has nothing is holding him back. And he has all knowledge to allow him to do that. Let's think a little bit about the sovereignty of God and evil. Does evil exist? It certainly does. Nobody in their right mind would deny that evil does indeed exist. And what is it? What is evil? How would you describe evil? Evil really is a distortion of God's purpose. And the greater the distortion, the greater the evil. Evil is something that that destroys what is good. You know, the only way evil can exist, this is a big subject and I am just scratching the surface and I might not even be completely right on this, but the, the evil had to come from, the only place that evil can come from uh, let, let me back up one more step and say that God created everything. Evil was not created. But when Satan takes something good and twists it, that's evil. Now you're going to ask where Satan came from and where that rebellion came from, that Satan that caused Satan to be Satan. I don't know if I can answer that question. I can't answer that question. I don't know all the answers to these deep things. But I do know that Satan didn't create anything. But he can make evil. And, and I know the Bible says that God says in, in one of the books of the prophets, I think it's Isaiah, where he says, I create evil. But I don't think he was talking about that kind of evil, that word evil in the Old, in the Old Testament. And I forgot to check this, to really look at this for tonight. But that evil that he's talking about in, in, in the book of Isaiah where God says, I create evil... <laughs> Some places it says calamity. Sometimes it says, uh, some, some versions say something. But it's not talking about the, the twisting of something that's good. Something that is actually a distortion of God's purpose. I don't think God is saying I created that. But evil is a distortion of God's purpose. So how can a holy sovereign God tolerate evil? The, pro- the prophets had the same question. Look at what Habakkuk says to God. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon that, them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue, when the wicked devoureth the man, the man, devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? Have you ever felt that way? God, how in the world can you let this happen? You know, today when we see what's going on with, in some segments of society, you wonder, how, Lord, can you allow this to happen? How can a sovereign, holy God tolerate this kind of evil? And how can he just let it go on and on and on? How could God allow hypocritical and cruel men to take Jesus and nail him to a cross? And suffering. Doesn't God care? Or is, like some people come to the conclusion, he's really not able to interfere. interfere. Many people use the fact of evil, human evil, as an excuse to either deny or the sovereignty of God or, or else the goodness of God. 
They say it's impossible for God to be both sovereign and good with all the evil that is going on. And others with a seemingly more, with more sincerity find it, just find it imp- very difficult to reconcile those things. I spoke to a, years ago, to talk to a veteran of, of the first Iraq war, and he, he simply said, he said, if you would see, if you would have seen all the suffering and evil that I saw, you wouldn't believe it like you do. And so, you know, it's one thing to say, it's one thing to believe in, in, in good, that God is good when we grow up being loved and surrounded by love. And the worst thing that has ever happened to us is that our dog has gotten driven over. It's not that difficult to say that God is good when we're surrounded by goodness and kindness. And most of us, I would say most of us, for most of our lives, not every one of us probably, but most of us have had the privilege of living, of growing in a, an environment where we're surrounded by love and kindness. And um, it's not that difficult for us to say that God is good. But you know that there are many, many, many people who love is a rarity and being being shown love is a rarity and for those people it may be more difficult to see that 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 God is good but it's it's a, it's it's another thing to believe and truly believe in the goodness of God when we're surrounded by evil and suffering and have suffered staggering losses as well it's not that God has changed but our circumstances have changed and our circumstances impact our perspective Where did evil come from? Did God create evil? Where did death come from? Who chooses the time of death? Well, you know, I want to be careful. And I don't want to... Because we comfort ourselves sometimes by when, let's say, we have a stillborn child. And we say God took him. God chose that he would... would, um, just not live. He, he chose and he took him and it was God's choice and we comfort ourselves in that. We comfort ourselves sometimes in those things and if, and if, some, if, there's an, if there is a um, you know, death, we, we comfort ourselves in that sometimes. But then, then we come to, you know, if it's, a, if it's a, a, a death like an accident, we say, well, that was God's time and, uh, and uh, that, but but what about a murder? What about um, a suicide? What about an abortion? What about an AIDS epidemic? Did God do that? So those are some harder questions that we, we have to think about a little bit. And, and maybe we come to the conclusion that it's not so much that God says, I want that person to die and this person to die, and it's time for this person to die, as death is a part of what happened when God said to Eve and to Adam, if you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. He meant it. And so death 
comes from being a part of the human race. And thank God that through Jesus Christ, death can be the gateway to life by the grace of God. But that's only the grace of God that, that, that uh, made that possible. And so we can rightly rejoice when, when Christians die and pass from this life into the next. We can rightly rejoice because of that, because in that. But it's only because of what God has done. Because death is, we weren't made to die, we were made to live. And so, uh, and so today, thank God, thank God, because of Jesus Christ, we don't have to fear death, we don't have to, even though we sorrow, you know, sorrowing is, we sorrow and it's, it's pain. And it's not because we're weak or it's not because there's something wrong with that. It's because that's the way it is. We, you know, if we, in our bodies, if we would tear our finger off, it would just hurt. And when in our relationships, when someone is torn from us, the pain is real. And our world today is full of, full of, full of evil, full of suffering. Uh, the the human the story of the human family is a story where there's so much evil, and it continues to be perpetuated. And all you got to do is read the the headlines, you read the read the newspaper a little bit, and it's just sickening. In fact, it's probably not good to read it too much because it's just too much negativity there. And we look at history, and we look at Mao, and we look at Hitler, and we look at Stalin, and we look at some of those things. And many of those things are going on today as well. But millions of people uh, suffering and dying at the hands of evil men. Have you ever seen anything so evil that your heart just groaned, where is God? Where is God? And why doesn't he do something about it? And uh, that's a reality for many, much in many places and for many people. They just, their, their heart is just groaning and wondering why God doesn't do something about this. If God is truly sovereign, then, and, and well, let me move, move through here. Let me ask, let me move on here. <clears throat> Excuse me. So does God in any way approve of these of these of this evil? Most of us have seen more evil than more good than evil, but not everybody has. Um, most of us have seen more sacrifice than selfishness. And and so it's easier for us to say that God is good all the time. But there are other people that have seen something different. And what about them? Is God in some way the author of these things? Does God in any way approve of these things? And how can we reconcile that an all-good, all-knowing, all-powerful God with the evil that, that happens all around us? How can we affirm that God is both good and sovereign when evil and cruelty and suffering are so rampant? You know, that, those are real questions. And what is the answer? I think 
part of the answer, at least, to that is that God in his sovereignty, in his right to do whatever he pleases, has given us that free will. And, if, and that means that if a man is free to choose, sometimes he'll make the wrong choice, and especially since he is now by nature inclined to sin. And um, so let's think about free will just a little bit more. Uh, some observations on free will. It means that God is, allows us to choose. At his heart, it's basically a yes or no decision, but there are thousands of choices we make along the way to, to support that decision, and those choices we make will either reinforce that decision or weaken it. So God gives us free will, which means basically yes or no. And if we say yes to God, then we're going to have to say yes many more times to reinforce that decision. It's a, we, we say yes, we make a big decision, we say I'm going to follow Christ, but there are many times that you're going to have to say yes again. The free will of man is time-bound. During our lifetime we have free will. And I'm not even certain, I'm not even certain that we have free will all our life. I believe, again, you theologians, you can straighten me up here because I'm willing to be straightened up. But it seems to me that God gives every single a person a chance to say yes to him. That free, we have free will. I'm not so certain that we have that free will all our life. I'm not so certain that there may be a time that God says, all right, You've made your decision. And that might be before we come to our deathbed. I'm not certain. I don't know. But it seems to me that that may be the case. Where, So when, God, when we hear God talking to us and we hear him calling us, we'd better say yes. We'd better just make a decision. Because it seems with, in Pharaoh's case, it seemed like God, he had come to a point where God said, well, Pharaoh... I'm going to use you to do something. And it wasn't something good. So the free will of man may be limited. For certain it's limited to our lifetime, and it may be more limited than that. Our free will in no way diminishes the sovereignty of God. In his sovereignty, he gave us free will. I... There's both good and evil that comes. There's both good and evil because of free will. Um, good and evil exist in humanity because free will exists. We can only be truly good if we are truly free to be evil as well. You know? We can only truly love if we are equally free to choose not to love. You know, that, that's the only way that you can truly love is if you are also free not to love. It's time to close. And um, I would like to just... I would like to talk just a little bit more about human suffering. I'm... Sorry, I might take us just a little bit over here over time here tonight. I 
I, uh, we won't go too long here. I'd like to talk a little bit about human suffering and God's sovereignty. How much of human suffering is caused by evil? In a certain way, all of it is. Before the fall of mankind, there was no such thing as suffering, and today much suffering is a direct result of evil per- per- perpetrated by mankind, and, and people don't always only suffer for their own choices. Their suffering is imposed on them by evil choices made by other people. And uh, there, there's also the suffering that comes from being a part of the of fallen humanity. We're subject to sickness and disease and death and accidents. And these aren't necessarily a result of wrong choices. These aren't moral issues. It's just because we're human that we're subject to these things. We're subject to natural disasters. Hurricanes and floods and droughts cause much, much suffering. And suffering isn't necessarily God's punishment. I don't know. I, would, I think most of the time it's not. But it can be a direct result of our own foolishness or wrong choices. But it may be simply because we're part of the human family and we're suffering, as humans do. And so human suffering, for sincere people that would like to believe in God, but they find it, diffi- they find it difficult sometimes to look at, at, at innocent people suffering and ask that question, how can a good God allow this but God can use suffering to accomplish things in us and I don't believe I'll repeat I don't believe we were created to suffer but God can use suffering to accomplish things in us that would almost not happen otherwise and maybe that's because we're part of the human race I don't know why that there are certain things that it seems like only can be accomplished in us through, through suffering. We're, re, we, we, we're made better through suffering when we respond in, with, in faith and, and courage. Courage is not giving up, you know. Many people give up on God, give up their faith when they suffer. And uh, courage is not giving up. Faith is continuing to believe in God. I stand in awe of people who have suffered and suffered and they become sweeter and sweeter and just deeper and deeper. And that's what, that's what suffering can do. It's not automatic, but it can do that for us. The beautiful thing about the grace of God that he's able to use even the suffering that's a result of our own foolishness and our own sin, when we give that to him, when we turn to him, He can make us better for it. God is able to bring good out of evil. Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The scripture says that Jesus, Jesus, no less, Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect man, well, it says he was made perfect through suffering. I don't. I don't know how Jesus, I don't know how Jesus could have been made better, but that's what the Bible says. It says, Jesus was made perfect through suffering. <clears throat> deep, deep meaning can be found through a life of suffering. Certainly, meaninglessness is the result of a life of, of seeking pleasure. You know, a person that, has, that 
shuns suffering, shuns sacrifice, shuns all hardship, and only seeks pleasure. Have you ever met anybody like that? They are the, they, the, they, that is a life of emptiness and meaninglessness. On the other hand, suffering, when we respond in faith and courage, brings depth and sweetness. So God's answer to evil and suffering is not, is often not to remove it now. But that day is surely coming. And so his answer, instead of removing us from suffering or removing suffering from us, is to walk with us through it. And not, in, not to walk with us in any distant sort of way, like something that he experienced 2,000 years ago. He suffers with us now in our suffering. And, and we may never get a completely satisfactory answer to the question, why suffering? But we, can see it from, we see it from a completely different perspective when we consider that Jesus walks with us and suffers with us in our suffering. Do we, do we really believe that? that? That Jesus suffers when we suffer? I believe he does. God's sovereignty means that he will accomplish his purpose. And what is his purpose? His purpose is that everyone on earth be a part of his kingdom. That's what God's purpose is. But an even greater purpose that encompasses that first purpose it is that they will become a part of that kingdom because they want to. So his greater purpose, yes, God would, God would like for every single person to be part of his kingdom. But an even greater purpose than that, or an even something that even encompasses that and surrounds that, is you will do it because you want to. You will be part of his kingdom because you want to. He won't force anybody. But when we're there, there is no one that can pluck them from the Father's hand. That's what Jesus said. We serve a sovereign God and he will accomplish his will. And the challenging question for us is, will we choose him, love him, serve him, so that he can accomplish what he desires to do in us? Let's bow our heads for a prayer. O oh, sovereign Lord, we praise you that you are almighty and that you are all-knowing, that you are all-wise. We praise you that nothing <clears throat> can keep you from doing what you determine that you will do. We thank you that there's nothing too hard for you. We thank you that there's nothing hidden from your all-seeing eye. 
we thank you for the refining work that you do in our lives and if that work takes the takes the form of suffering we pray lord that you would allow us to for that to do its perfect work in us and uh, Lord, we just thank you that you've given us the privilege to know you as our Savior, Redeemer, and the one who will lead us into everlasting life. We ask that you would bless these people that are gathered here today. Help us to grow in our longing for you. And understand to a greater degree what it means to follow you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.